Welcome to the Banking on Innovation podcast. Today, I'm very pleased to invite to the podcast Jamie Warder, the Chief Digital Officer and member of executive team at KeyBank. Jamie, welcome to the podcast. Jody, thanks for having me. Good to, good to talk to you again. Jamie, you've always been very thoughtful and provocative on delivering superior customer experiences. And I'm so pleased that we have a, uh, a real thought provoker like you to join us today. Thanks for saying that. I, I, I won't take that credit, but thank you for saying that. <laughs> so, Jamie, let's talk a little bit about your, your past. You've had a very distinguished career, now, now in banking, of course, but formerly at McKinsey and before that as a captain in the U.S. Army. Let's start with your time in the military. How, how is innovation embraced in the military and what seeds were planted for you personally that you're using later in your subsequent career in banking? Oh, yeah, that's a uh, interesting question, Jody. Uh, you know, if you think about the military as a very large organization, right? Very similar to, you know, corporate America or, you know, large nonprofits. Uh, but like any large organization, it just can't be static. I think back, you know, in the 80s, uh, you know, the the military was protecting the full the gap in Germany um, from a, you know, a, a Russian invasion. And obviously, if you fast forward just a few decades, uh, you know, there's a very different kind of uh, mission to prepare for. So um, I that requires innovation. And if we if we really think of innovation as just um, it's a non-static uh, uh, playing field out there and being able to morph and adapt um, to what's going to help you win. I just I think some of those things have to show up in our military. They have to show up in you know corporate America because we do have an ever changing landscape and you know, if you think of innovation as just uh, staying ahead of that, trying to understand where you think the world is going and and um, getting ahead of it. So I don't know if I can say the military taught me that, but I certainly have seen innovation in the military. And uh, I certainly have seen innovation after I've left the military. And I think it's necessary and required in both organizations. Yeah, how important it is to, uh, regardless of the kind of institution you're part of, to be able to embrace it. So then you went into banking, you were at PNC Capital One, then you were president of USAA Bank, and now in a very significant digital leadership role at KeyBank. How have you had to evolve your own approach to driving innovation now in terms of, you know, you're one of the leading um, regional banks around, uh, around with their digital capabilities? Yeah, uh, I feel like I've been really blessed in my career to have seen how different organizations that all have very different contexts and different oppor business opportunities, how they treat innovation. And I think it's those series of experiences, be it, you know, at USAA or KeyBank here or Capital One, uh, just how they view innovation differently. Uh, there's a few themes that I've pro that I've taken from each of those organizations that I think um, you know create my perspective on on innovation. Here, just, you know, a few of those would be uh, one. I do think you have to think about innovation in horizons. Uh, you know, thinking about what what can you innovate this year might be different than innovation that you're thinking about five years from now. And by the way, innovation that you're doing in kind of the, the nearest horizon 
um, may be a little less different than today. Might be slight tweaks, might be, uh, you know, that relentless incrementalism. Whereas when you're thinking about what's the world going to look like in three or five years, uh, it just requires you to think about that a little differently. By the way, you may not even implement, you may just be thinking about it and, and designing without actually going into implementation. So first is just this idea of multi-horizon thinking when you're thinking about innovation. The second, and I've been on both sides of this, um, I feel like we, we, there's been times in my career where I feel like we've gotten it wrong and other times where I feel like, yeah, we've gotten it closer to right, but um, really thinking about innovation and how it ties to business strategy. Uh, there are more than a few occasions where I feel like we've been innovating for the sake of innovating as opposed to starting with strategy, having a clear articulation of who we're trying to serve, how we're trying to serve them, how we want to differentiate from others who are trying to serve them, and then using that as a frame for innovation. And I've just found when when innovation follows clearly articulated, well-documented, and thoughtful strategy, that innovation tends to be more impactful. So uh, that, that might be my second. Third thought is, uh, and I'm, again, I, all these things I feel like I'm guilty of being on the good and bad side of, but uh, sometimes I think we overthink of innovation as technology. Uh, one of the innovations I'm very, very proud of at Key right now is we've been doing a lot of innovation on how do we allow small startup nimble companies, typically that we've acquired, how do we allow them to keep their culture, their spirit, their speed, but within a larger, you know, regulated organization. So, uh, it, you know, finding that right, don't crush the butterfly, but, uh, you know, don't trip the giant uh, uh, balance. And I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of innovation happening in that topic. It has not a lot to do with technology. So, this idea of innovation can be around process, it can be around people, it can be around uh, a bunch of different topics. And yes, innovation can certainly be around technology as well. What great points. So having innovation in service of the strategy, thinking about it in terms of a multi-horizon play, and then also the need to drive innovation as part of your agenda, even in the near term, even as you're trying to, let's say, catch up on other capabilities. Because what we've seen sometimes is that, okay, we'll just focus on the basics. We'll try and get to parity. And then we'll do more creative things for our customers after we get those foundational capabilities in place. And I think based on your comments, I'm hearing you say, it's got to be part of the agenda at every step in terms of the horizon approach, as well as in service of the strategy. I think you can't be so focused on, hey, we just need to catch up. We just need to get to parity. Uh, it, it, you know, if that's your only focus and you're not thinking of any places that you're going to innovate and differentiate, I just I, I don't think that's probably the right mix, nor do I think trying to be, you know, different and innovative everywhere is the right. It really is this mix of there's going to be places where, you know, you're fine just being, uh, you know, on par level with with the others, if you will. And this is where I think the strategy and then choosing carefully about where do you want to differentiate. And that's where some of your um, innovations and and, uh, you know, doing things different slash better uh, is what you'd aspire to. Great points. So, Jamie, as you are well aware, we're in a fascinating competitive landscape. 
customer behavior is shifting to digital. We have challenger banks focusing on uh, niches, niche segments, fintech and big tech picking off profit pools, national players investing massive amounts in digital, and you've got regional banks in the in the middle. So put on your your consultant hat and share. Let's just go through each of these players and uh, help us understand what are the challenges that each has to be successful in in the current environment. Let's let's start with the the challenger banks. Yeah, absolutely. Before I even get there, I'll just share a story. We had a board member um, and we were describing the competitive environment and, and she, of course, is familiar. But, you know, we'd spent 20 or 30 minutes as a leadership team talking to the board about the competitive environment. And and she said, um, all I can think of is is the movie Lord of the Rings, because, uh, you know, you're dealing with giants, you're dealing with yeah. uh, <laughs> things nipping at your feet, you're dealing with yeah, things right. at you in the air yeah. and on the ground. And it's it's absolutely true. I just I mean, yeah. this is a very dynamic uh, uh, marketplace that we compete in, which uh, makes it fun and exciting. Uh, so sorry, that that was my diversion. <laughs> uh, back great comment. To, uh, uh, you know, the challenger in digital banks, uh, certainly we've seen um, some just terrific uptake in in uh, those banks. And I think, uh, you know, I think their challenge and I'll, I'll for this segment, Jody, I'll just try to put on if, you know, if I'm thinking about them, what are they thinking about? I think in many cases, uh, the challenger banks have figured the challenger digital banks have figured out, you know, a product. Uh you know, they figured out how to do kind of day to day checking and debit, you know, using that um, Durban um, exception and it's created a nice business for them. It's created growth. I think their challenge becomes how do we move beyond single product? How do we, uh, you know, look for other ways to take care of their customers while still figuring out monetization? Um, so in a, in, in a weird way, you uh, you know, they started as a monoline and they are looking to to become a uh, broader based relationship provider. So um, I see that as being one of their opportunities. Uh, you know, the other opportunity might be uh, there's a school of thought. And I think time's going to tell us whether this is true or not, that, you know, challenger banks that tend to be kind of simpler, have simpler product sets. They work really well for a very narrow segment. And and that narrow segment, you know, uh, you could say it's the it's the younger, not yet complex, not a lot of financial needs, but certainly as uh, they grow, as they need a home, as they need, you know, the car loan or they need to start investing, those needs become more complex. And I think, you know, challenger banks have to think about how do we meet that complexity? Because there, I think there's a school of thought that says, uh, yeah, you'll have a lot of you know college kids, my college kids, banking with a cha- with, with, with a challenger digital bank, uh, you know, until they uh, grow up, get their first job, and then they're going to you know uh, get a traditional bank. I think that's still to be seen. I'm not convinced that's the path, but I know that is a um, school of thought out there. Yeah, fascinating. So the next group then is the let's call it the fintechs, the big techs, retailers, kind of picking off profit yeah. pools. What do you see as the challenges and opportunities if you put yourself in their shoes? Yeah, I might break those up a little bit. I'll talk about each of them a little bit. You know, um, fintechs, and I I really do believe the fintechs have 
done a wonderful thing, which is they have, uh, in many cases, they picked a part of the value stream in financial services, and they really focused on it. They started client back. They thought about software and data and the meshing of kind of multiple um, systems and data sources. They just made it better. Um, they are, in many cases, fintechs for, for a couple decades have been our innovators in uh, financial services. You know, I think in some cases, especially now with the interesting market uh, market conditions, it, it their big challenge will be finding distribution, right? And it's uh, you know they've created great product, and and uh, often they're looking for distribution. And I think that means in some cases they figure out distribution on their own. And certainly some fintechs have done that. Some great fintechs have done that. Um, it could be that they're partnering with distribution partners, you know, banks or other retailers. Um, uh, so I just think they need to figure out often they've created a great product and it's how do I get that product out there? Is it through partnerships? Is it through, uh, you know, organic uh, distribution? But I think that's probably what's facing a lot of the fintechs. I mean, maybe a little more timely right now. We're we're talking about this at the beginning of August. Um, You know, they're probably dealing a lot with just uh, market conditions that would say, you know, I think the external markets are not uh, as interested right now in growth stories as they are profitability stories. And, And I just think that's, you know, we see that in the broader market. So that's probably impacting some of the fintechs. Uh, and creating financial pressure on the fintechs, uh, you know, more than in the past. So, um, you know, again, that need for distribution probably is even more important right now at this point in the in the uh, in the financial cycle. You know, big techs, it's a very different. Uh, the big techs, uh, you know, they have distribution often that uh, is numbered in B's, billions, right? Uh, they have this enormous customer base. And I think what the um, big techs are probably thinking about right now is exactly where in financial services do we want to play and not play. Financial services is a complicated industry, Um, you know, whether it's moving money or lending money or storing money or giving advice. uh, It is a complicated industry. And, you know, I think any of these big techs could choose to compete in any of these places and probably figure it out. I just think they're probably going through really important make versus buy decisions. They're going through what's the opportunity cost. They're probably thinking about um, regulatory implications. So, you know, they have the distribution. And I think their question is, what products do we need, uh, you know, to, to serve our particular business strategies? And, uh, you know, once we know those products, once we know those capabilities, uh, do we want to build it? Do we want to partner or what's our right mix? Because my guess is all of them will have all of the above. So I think that's what they're facing. Just some real strategic choices of where do they want to play? Do they want to play in this ecosystem of financial services? And if so, where? And then finally, retailers, you know, this is something here at Key. We really think uh, we're seeing more and more of banking being embedded into, um, you know, day-to-day applications and you know look no further i know it's old example but look no further than uber where uh, the 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 banking is built into the product or you know starbucks is uh, your starbucks card is a kind of storage facility 
um, you know, your app for for Starbucks as a storage facility. It's a, it's effectively a deposit account. Uh, so I just think this idea of embedded banking is what we're calling it around here. And, you know, uh, we think that retailers will be looking for places where they want to embed banking into their core products. Uh, we think, by the way, in financial services, one of the implications is that um, having the ability to to serve customers who want to embed banking needs to be or could be part of the mix. So, um, you know, it's it, it's something we're you know, we publicly shared we're, we're spending time really uh, building our capability and thinking about. So so there we go. Fintechs, big techs, retailers uh, probably took too long. Yeah. You know, I'm in a lot of these conversations as well. And I think you're right. Embedded banking. Uh, the the opportunities and the ability to be creative and embedded as part of a proposition, very compelling. And I think it's very savvy that you're saying that KeyBank is uh, is determined to to play a role in that as opposed to be uh, competed out of that uh, of that possibility. So last one around nationals and super regionals who are even trying to get bigger. In some ways, you can be envious of the amount of money they're investing. But what do you see as challenges on on that side when you're at that kind of scale? Yeah, you know, I think the nationals and super regionals, um, they have terrific scale. I think scale matters in banking. It matters in marketing. It matters in um, technology and and digital spend. Like I just I, I do think true scale matters. Uh, now, often what comes with scale is enormous complexity. Uh, it's just, um, you know, it, as you scale, you add more. Um, capabilities, more products, more channels, uh, more, uh, you know, operations, uh, more geographies. And I just think, you know, putting myself in their shoes, my guess is they are trying to manage, um, you know, how do we uh, use our scale to our advantage and manage the the complexity that can come with scale. And, I, you know, I think some are doing that. Uh, some have done that over time very well. You know, others have tripped on uh, kind of complexity and scale. So uh, I just uh, I think that's probably, uh, you know, how do they maintain their scale, um, but do so in a way that um, doesn't have undue complexity, undue mistakes, undue trips. Yeah. And then finally, key banks and other other regionals. Allah, your comment around Lord of the Rings. How 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 do they compete in this kind of environment with all of these uh, these other other players? Um, uh, kind of using their own strengths to be able to to take yeah. some share. Yeah, no, it's um, you, you know uh, the, the 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 category that I think KeyBank falls into. Uh, what I would say is, you know, you can look one direction and say, you know, there's. 10 or 15 banks that are uh, have more scale um, that, you know, that's the bad news. The good news is you can look the other direction and say, Hey, there's a, you know, several thousand where <laughs> there's more scale. So, um, but my real answer is this gets right back. And by the way, for all of these categories, we've just talked about, like I'm a firm believer in um, being clear about who you're serving and who you're not um, understanding those needs deeply and then differentiating, uh, you know, in a way that's unique. And we actually have coined a term and it's out there. You can read about it in our investor day documents. But, uh, you know, we talk about targeted scale and uh, targeted scale means we're not going to outscale the trillionaire banks at KeyBank. 
but what we can do is we can pick our spots. We can pick our spots like renewable energy, like low-income housing, like healthcare, where we say in those areas, because we are going to really focus our time, effort, resources, uh, we could actually create uh, this targeted scale. And we have great examples of where over time uh, we've done this. So although I could say this about all of the categories we've just talked about, you know, I think it's important for uh, KeyBank and other regionals to be, be really sharp about where they want to win and, uh, you know, where, frankly, they, they're not trying to win. Because I think if you if you try to be strong everywhere, you're probably strong nowhere. So uh, long answer short would be a very focused and thoughtful strategy. Yeah, love that idea about the targeted scale. So l- let's now talk about uh, KeyBank a bit more. So customer behavior, of course, has shifted significantly to digital channels. 25% of new KeyBank customers are under 30 who are likely to be more digital native. So what have you learned about customer banking behavior during this time of significant digital adoption, really across all segments? Certainly, um, the pandemic, I just, I think, accelerated everything a little bit, but it accelerated trends that aren't new trends. I mean, Jody, you've been around this industry long enough to know, like, this is, this has been going on for, you know, you'd measured in decades at this point. Uh, The the way I like to think about this is, you know, servicing the, let me check my account balances. Let me move money from one account to the next. Uh, even a little more complex servicing, like you know, let me add these account holder or these uh, these individuals to my account, or let me you know fire off a high dollar wire. More and more, I really think the servicing side of banking has has you know a lot of that has been digitized. I, I would say that was. You know, we are almost through the evolution and there is a lot of servicing that's digitized. Sales is a little more interesting. And I'll talk right now about sales fulfillment. So, you know, saying, hey, I want to open a checking account. Uh, You know, you you said it right. Somewhere between, depending on the bank, 25 and 40 percent will do that digitally. They'll do it from home. They'll do it from their phone or their browser or their tablet. and, and of course, that depends on product because you look at more complicated products like a home equity line. Those tend to not be as digital, right? Um, still, maybe you know, four and four out of five home equity lines will not be done digitally. They'll be done, you know, the old-fashioned way. And then, so so I think about kind of that sales fulfillment or that you know, adding products and services fulfillment. It's digitizing, but it's digitizing at a slower pace, and it's. I would say it's still evolving and, you know, someday it'll catch up with servicing. But right now, my take is the majority of sales fulfillment is still happening uh, with people involved, be that people in a physical building or over the phone or some such. So uh, I still think there's a ways to go there and there's still a lot of um, there's still a lot of opportunity. And then the next horizon I think about is advice and advisory and, uh, you know, something your firm uh, does a great job with. Uh, but, you know, I think more and more uh, advisory is probably one of those areas that's more and I'm talking about advisory broadly. I'm not talking about investment advisor. I'm just talking about invest, uh, advisory bro- broadly. How much home can I afford or, you know, should I lock my rate at this point? Uh, you know, I think that is here to date 
more of an analog function in financial services, but I think it, it it's also going to be moved to be more digitized, but I would almost put them in, in that order. Servicing is almost fully digitized at this point, and of course there's exceptions, but it just feels like a very digital world from servicing. Sales fulfillment, it's on the way, it's growing every day, and it'll continue to grow. It's not, none, of the, none of these trends are going to stop. Advisory is a little more nascent, but I think kind of growing over time. It's a good way to think about it, almost like it, uh, that banks are at different stages of maturation in these different kinds of capabilities, all within the, you know, the realm of, of, of enacting or delivering sales service capabilities and service of customers. Absolutely. And I, I almost like to think about it. It's just a helpful mental model for me, Jody, is thinking about if you walk into, you know, any local credit union or bank branch, typically, typically you're going to find some activities happening there. There's going to be a teller line where some servicing is happening. Um, There's going to be a, you know, a, a platform area where people are opening accounts and maybe another area where, you know, you see a customer in an office who's having a advisory conversation about how to manage their uh, financial lives. So if, if you're thinking about over time, you're digitizing those different pieces of what's occurring in the physical building. And each of those functions is a kind of a different um, place and pace. You've spoken previously on the need to have both digital tools and in-person expert advice kind of this broader, uh, within this broader rubric of what you just said in terms of advisory, to, to deliver more, more personalized experiences. How do you embrace innovation across both digital and the physical channels and ensure they're, they're coordinated to deliver these personalized experiences and personalized advice to customers? That to me is the tricky question for the industry, right? And uh, this ties right back to our previous, which is, in every category of financial services, you're going to find your digital only crowd and you're going to find your in-person only crowd. And the largest crowd's actually gonna be those who do some of both, depending on the situation, depending on the day, depending on you know what they need. or uh, And really thinking about, and by the way, I think it's gonna be that way for a long time. As much as we talk about the digital revolution, I, I think in many cases it's a digital evolution and, um, you know, these things are going to move, but, uh, you know, they're, the, the physical uh, analog great advice of a banker isn't going away next year. Uh, it, you know, we'll be measuring that, you know, we'll be measuring the change over the course of many years or decades. Um, so, as we think about that, I do think the right question becomes, you know, how do you create uh, the ability to, you know, to serve clients, to serve customers where they want to be served? And, you know, if they want advice at home, you know, how are you thinking about providing that? But uh, but again, the majority of them have said, hey, I want to talk to someone and see the whites of their eyes or hear their voice in my ear. And how do you accommodate that? It works against something I said earlier, which is, you know, you have to pick your spots and you have to be thoughtful. So I don't know how to answer it, except I do believe that it really is a digital world, that digital matters, but the physical does too. And uh, and by the way, I get that there's, there's places that will um, 
compete on different ends of those spectrums. And I fully expect that. But uh, but trying to balance that, I don't I feel like I'm rambling because I'm not giving a good answer, except it's a real issue that I think every institution has to figure out how they're going to. Yeah. Well, you know, back to your to your mental model around the different stages of maturity and servicing fairly well-formed sales fulfillment um, with a lot of progress over the last um, several years, particularly with, with let's say simple and, and becoming even more complex products. But this, this, yep. this area of let's call it unified advice. We sometimes call it connected channels um, as well, which is being able to, to, to capture the intelligence and then deliver it, whether digitally and or in physical channels and do it in a, in a unified way. It feels like we're still in the early innings of that in terms of that maturation, but so much potential there. Yeah. And, and I promise I'm not doing a, a commercial for personetics, Jody, <laughs> but I do think, uh, you know, when you start to think about even when it is a, uh, it, you know, a person-to-person conversation, being able to use data and information to assist in that conversation. Um, sometimes our systems can know more about our customers and clients than, you know, any one of our humans can. So, you know, how do you deliver that when our clients are in a, a digital channel, but how do you make it available if they want to be interacting with you, you know, over the phone or in person? Um, those are, uh, you know, those are tricky things uh, for financial institutions to figure out. And and certainly, uh, you know, Personetics can help with it's that. It's exciting to see the kind of uh, innovation I think the industry will will experience in this uh, in this space. So let me let me uh, let me wrap up by uh, a question I like to ask all of our guests, particularly you know Jamie, since you're so you know provocative and, and forward thinking. Um, what will customers demand from banks and credit unions in the next three years that the industry may not be well prepared for? Yeah, I, I'm going to talk about a few different. I just think these are macro trends that are happening. Um, the first might be uh, if you think about um, who banks together for many, many years, I think that was driven by geography. And, uh, you know, people and businesses chose their bank based on proximity to their home or to their workplace. So uh, geography was the community in banking. And I actually think, and this isn't, this isn't super new, but I think it's becoming, um, I think it's back in vogue and it's, it's becoming in vogue at scale. Um, But I think more and more it's, that's, banking is starting to form around different groups that are non-geography based. So, you know, 30 years ago, there was the firefighters credit union and firefighters would do their uh, financial services together at that credit union. And then you started to see some big players in the affinity space around teachers, around the military, uh, you know, Navy Fed and USAA creating kind of affinity and banking. Um, It's one of the things, by the way, we're trying to do with Lower Road, which is an all digital national bank with just an unabashed focus on the healthcare industry, um, those caregivers who are taking care of us. So I just think uh, 
that is one of the trends is this move from geography to more affinity banking, um, you, you know, uh, people who look like me, people who have similar needs in financial services that might be different than uh, more of the mainstream. So I'll call that kind of, uh, you know, trend number one. Trend number two, and we haven't seen this as much. Um, I like to tie things to historical, but, you know, it, it's what it's what Bank of America did with keep the change it's it's what a basic business sweep account would do but this idea of auto driving accounts uh, and you know the way we've kind of grown up in financial services both retail and commercial we tend to say hey you have to open up all of these different types of accounts that serve different purposes and then by the way we leave it up to you to kind of manage those you need to determine if you want to pay down a loan or whether you should get more money into this account because you have expenses coming up and i think over time uh, we might start to see more kind of universal accounts or accounts that are tied together with intelligence that know hey does it make sense to move some money for you uh, if you have too much in your checking account let's get that into a savings account so it can earn interest um, if you're saving too much, and by the way, you're paying a lot of interest on a loan, let's take some of that savings to the loan. So I don't know exactly how that's going to manifest, but I just think it's some um, inefficiency in the system based on kind of how the industry has historically grown up that I do think there's going to be, um, you know, opportunity around. And then we've already talked a little bit about what I really think is a, a third macro trend out there, which is uh, just, you know, banking right now kind of exists at, as its own thing. And more and more, the banking is going to be embedded in all of the other things. And, and again, we see this already yeah. today. This isn't a brand new phenomenon, but, you know, it's the idea of, uh, you know, I want to have a, a a mole removed from my face. So I'm at the cosmetic surgeon and the surgeon says, hey, we can, you know, finance this optional procedure for you, uh, you know, built right into the doctor's office. It's not, well, I need to go to the bank to get the money to pay for it. It's, it's, it's kind of built in, it's embedded in that experience. And I just think we are just scratching the surface on banking showing up where it's actually needed as opposed to kind of a one-off uh, separate function. So that would be my third one. And I think that creates interesting opportunities. I know the theme of this is innovation, Jody. All of those areas, and there's a bunch of other macro trends that I'm probably not thinking of, they create interesting opportunities and risks, by the way, um, for uh, you know our, our companies in this space to be thinking about from a from an innovation and differentiation perspective. That's great. Jamie, you know, one of the things I've really appreciated is how balanced you've brought in terms of your, the balance you bring in terms of your perspective. It's a historical view, but also a future thinking view. It's a pragmatic view, but also an innovative view, kind of traditional way of banking and the new way of banking, how customers were served and how the uh, the new capabilities need to be built to uh, to serve them moving forward. So I, I really appreciated that. I'm sure the audience will as well. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Jody, thank you. Uh, really appreciate the invite and um, thanks all for listening. Thank you for joining another episode of Banking on Innovation. Make sure you subscribe to get future podcast episodes or follow us on Twitter at Personetics or on Personetics.com. 